Amen. Let's clap to our God who's worthy, church. Good morning. I said good morning. How are you doing? You guys go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, can we also just welcome all those who are watching online right now? Would you give it up for them today? I want to say howdy to all of you. We've started to uh, live stream this service instead of the 1130, but we are so excited about you being here with us today. Uh, you know, and as I was singing this song, I was just thinking of, of, of how we serve a God. We had an incredible Easter weekend celebration last week, and I want to thank all of you. And I'm thankful for this. We serve a God who we don't only celebrate his resurrection just one time out of the year. As believers, we celebrate that he's alive every day. Amen. We know that. He's alive, and we are celebrating him still today and every day. But while I was thinking about just the incredible Easter celebration that we had, I want you to know that it was a a great weekend in all of our services and uh, and 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 you so many of you made that possible by your serving in many different services multiple services from our worship team to our our tech team the cafe folks who work over there the Parker's greeters everybody in the child care area I mean I know I'm leaving people out but I want to just say thank you to them can we give them a big round of applause for helping make it possible I want you to know, because of you, we had people last, last Sunday that gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time. We had people that recommitted their lives to Jesus. We had nearly 30 brand new families that, that, that came and celebrated with us. Those are ones that just filled out the cards, not to mention, and we had around 2,000 on our campus last weekend on Saturday and Sunday. That's a new record here at EVC. And so very excited. Thank you. And how about our amazing staff, right? These, those guys knocked it out of the park as well. Thankful for them. So I was thinking this week as we're starting this brand new series and I was thinking about all of that and I was thinking how just incredibly beautiful what God has done. We're celebrating 20 years, a 20 year anniversary as a church in September and that we'll be just celebrating that. And throughout the 20 years, I was thinking of how God has taken this church and just through you made it into a beautiful masterpiece. You are a masterpiece that God has created. We're in a series called Broken Pieces. You're here on the, on the first day of of it, and I'm really excited about what God is going to do. We're going to talk about how God will often take the broken things and the fractured things that are in our lives and how God will build them into a masterpiece. God is able to do that. And so I was thinking about, before we get into God's word, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 18, and I was thinking about this in my own life, some of the brokenness. I'm going to be very real with you about some of the things that God has had to do to bring some healing in my own life. I was thinking about whenever I was around 16 years old, I was going to Boswell High School, right? across the street and I uh, had no idea I'd ever pastor a church across the street someday. Isn't that funny how God works? And uh, while I was over there, when I was around 15, that's when I decided to start following Jesus. My family went from being unchurched to being a, a family that went to church every single week. So we started going very regularly to a church in the Fort Worth area. And uh, while we were going there, I, God just got a hold of my heart. I got on fire for Christ. I started sharing the gospel with uh, the people that I went to school with, my friends started coming to faith in Christ. I take my Bible to school with me. I was playing football. I was playing baseball. I was loving life. Life was going very well at that point and just enjoying it so much. I was in what I thought was a really good youth group and I had a youth pastor that God had used to really influence my life in a big, in a big way. I had no idea though what church planting was, but that youth pastor felt like God was calling him to go back to his home area in Idaho and plant a church. So he left our church and it just kind of broke my heart 
because I really looked up to him so much. Now I understand now why he was doing that, but it broke my heart. But we had a new youth pastor that came in. He was in his early 20s. I was probably, again, around 16, 17 years old at this time. And, uh, and I, I close, got a close attachment to this youth pastor as well. Uh, this guy was hilarious. Uh, he really taught me how to share my faith. And so I learned some good things from him. There's no doubt about that. But I started noticing some weird behavior. I started noticing that he seemed to have a growing attachment to one of the young ladies, a teenager that was in our youth group. And yes, he was in his 20s. Now here, here is the complicating matter of this. That's bad in and of itself and is illegal. But the girl that he was growing attached to was my girlfriend. And I was like going, is this really happening? This can't be happening. And I'm trying to play this out in my mind. And I'm thinking, no way, this guy loves Jesus. He wouldn't do this to me. He wouldn't do this to our church. But uh, as things continued to play out, I just couldn't get past this. So I decided to kind of confront them. And I bring this up and, and, and they kind of play this off like I was this crazy kind of psycho jealous boyfriend. And uh, now the sad part of this, one of the sad parts of this was is that a lot of my friends in that youth group kind of turned on me and they thought that maybe that I was just being jealous. So to make a long story shorter, uh, our family, we ended up leaving that church and I want you to know that I was very devastated. I was broken because I just knew that something was going on that was wrong, so that, 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 that this guy was doing something inappropriate and illegal and, and not only that, had broken trust. And, and, and so we went away. I was devastated. I was broken. I, look, I looked up to him so much and I just couldn't believe that this happened. And so I had this, this heartbreak in my life. Now, about a year later, I get a call from one of my friends and he says, hey, you remember that whole deal that kind of went down? He said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, or actually, I think you need to know this, but, but they, those two, they actually ran off together. And uh, now at that moment, I felt vindicated. I was like, aha, I told you something was going on. Who's the psycho now? Now, remember, I was a teenager, okay? <laughs> that may have been a little psycho whenever I did that, but I was a teenager, but a lot of my friends came back to me and they said, we want you to know we're really sorry for not believing you. Really sorry that we didn't believe you and, and sorry that we had this broken relationship over this last year. And so that was church hurt experience for me, number one. I ended up, uh, God still was doing a work in my life and I moved through that. I was still hurt over that, but I, we went to another church felt like God was calling me into ministry. I ended up in my 20s also becoming a youth pastor of a church in the local area. And I won't go into the details of this uh, experience, but it turned south in about, uh, after me being there for about four years. I did not get fired there, but I had a, another bad church experience there because the pastor that I was working with, again, just we didn't see eye to eye on some things. And, and there was a lot of hurt that was involved in that church hurt experience number two for me. I ended up leaving that church because I had an opportunity. God actually, I think, took me out of that experience and took me to another church that was a mega church. And I started being a young married adult minister. This church was growing exponentially. People were coming to faith in Christ. I was getting a lot of ministry experience. I was going to seminary. And then it came out in the news that that pastor had had inappropriate relationships with women in the church. And I'm just sitting here going, what is going on? Church hurt experience number three. All to guys that I looked up to and that I loved and that I admired at one point. And I've said this to our church throughout the years. 
been in ministry now for 29 years, I've said this, that it is not only a miracle that I am a pastor today, and you need to know this, it's a miracle that I am. I truly believe this. Here's what is also a miracle. It is a miracle that I am even in church today. How many of you have been hurt, maybe in some church experiences? Would you raise your hands? And I asked this in in the last service, and it broke my heart to see how many hands went up. Because that's just the reality is because churches are made up of people and people are broken and we're all sinners and we all mess up. And, and this damaged me so much. It hurt me so much. And I stayed at that church and I helped people that were also broken, that were going through all of this in this time. And, and, and God started calling me to plant a church. Now, I wish I could tell you that coming out of that, that I was all healed up and that the wounds that I had, had, had really that came into my life and my teenage years and in my 20s, I wish that those were all healed, but they weren't. And so what did I do? I went and I started a church. And now I believe God was leading me to do that, and I, and, but I went through a period of about the first 10 years of my ministry here at EVC, and God did some great things in spite of me, but I want you to know that I was very wounded. I still carried a lot of those wounds. I carried a lot of suspicion, a lot of cynicism had crept into my life. And about 10 years into the ministry here, I came to a breaking point that really led me, and I'm just being real with you, led to some, some struggles with depression. And because I'd never dealt with some of these wounds and, and I was battling, I was ready, honestly, I was ready to quit ministry about 11 years ago. I was ready to kind of give it all up and just quit. And, and, but God did a work in my life and God showed me in that time where he did that work, that healing work, God showed me that, that, he, that there was some bitterness that I was carrying in my heart that I'd been carrying it for some time and I never dealt with. I just tried, what we oftentimes will try to do is we try to just move on and a lot of times we have wounds that we're carrying along the way and we never deal with them. We don't deal with the wounds and we don't allow God to bring healing into these wounds that are in our lives. And so we oftentimes are walking around very wounded and very broken and very damaged Now, you may wonder, as I tell a little bit of my story in this, what's the masterpiece that God has made out of this mess that was in your life? And I wish I had a big mirror to be able to show it to you because do you know what it is? It's you. It's Eagles View Church. That God worked and made a masterpiece out of you, out of this church, out of the wounds in my life. You say, well, what is, how did that happen? What do you mean? Because what God did in the middle of those wounds that I struggled with was God galvanized some core values that we started this church with. And the core values that, we, that, that, that were a part of and are a part of my life were born out of the wounds that I experienced and I saw in the brokenness in some of the other churches. And I want to be very clear, this isn't to say that our church is better than their, those churches. I pray for those churches often, and they have gone through a lot of hurt themselves through all of that, many people. But what are some of those core values? Authenticity, number one. That is a big deal. We're, we, you, you, what you see is what you get. It's very important that we be real, that, that you can come and be real about your stuff and not have to wear a mask. Transparency is a big deal. 
We want there to be transparency here for people to be able to, 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 to open up and share what's going on. Here's a big thing that I learned. A church cannot be built on any other personality other than Jesus Christ. It can't be built upon a pastor, uh, a single pastor, or a group of men because people fail. People come and go. Jesus never fails us, amen? He is the cornerstone of our church. And here is another big, a big thing, core value, accountability. Accountability is an important part of my life because here is what I, I understand. I don't look at those guys who failed me and, and, and it's a wrong thought to think that I could never mess up. I need accountability in my life. Every believer needs accountability. We all need men who are men. We need men in our lives. Women, you need women in your lives to be able to speak into your life, to open yourself up. Accountability is important to me. It's important that our staff has high account, accountable standards. Those things, those are the things that God galvanized in me to be able to make as core values of this church. And it's, you know, when people start going through the new members process, we ask in that class, hey, why do you keep coming back? And you know how much it blesses me when I go in that class and I hear people say, it feels real. And I'm like, that's a good thing. If, if people stop saying that, I'll know we're doing something wrong. And again, it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we don't mess up. We, we are imperfect people and we struggle. But, but also what God did within me, within the brokenness, was to plant within us the idea that a church is filled with broken people. It's okay for us to admit we don't have it all together uh, and, and we have brokenness in our lives and it's okay to admit that and to be open and let God begin to work in our lives. So that's some of my story about the broken pieces. What I felt like during my 20s and in my, and, and, and in my teens when that happened, I felt like somebody took my heart out of my chest threw it down on the ground, and it busted into a million pieces. That's what it felt like. And I know some of your wounds are deep as well. Now, this series, Broken Pieces, is not for us just to visit the past and to wallow in our misery. It's not to start saying, oh, woe is me, or to play the victim, although I know some of you have been victimized, and that does hurt my heart. That hurts my heart to know this, but that is not the point of the series. The point of the series is for us to be able to begin to move forward, to be able to be emotionally well and healthy. By the way, that's another core value we have is emotional wellness, mental wellness, spiritual health, very important to us, right? And, and relational health. And I've been in ministry now for, as I said, around 25, 29 years, and I talk with lots of people, and, and I know that those wounds, that there are some of you who have wounds from other sources, but I would venture to say, and I've talked to so many of you that would say the greatest amount of wounds that you carry came from wounds that others have inflicted upon you. And, and maybe a trust was broken or something did to cause some emotional wounds in your life. For many of us, we would call these relational letdowns. Maybe somebody wounded you, somebody hurt you, somebody you looked up to let you down, somebody you trusted didn't do something or live up to an expectation. And typically, here's what I find. It's that thing, whatever that is for you, that prevents you from moving forward and being everything that God wants you to be. 
I've seen that happen so many times over and over again. I look at some of my own responses during that time where I was unhealthy emotionally and even relationally. This started coming out into some of my own relationships with my family. Other people started noticing there's something going on with you. What's, and I was angry. I was angry, being real. And, and I carried that anger with me and suspicion. Here's some of the things that might be responses to relational letdowns. Are you ready? A hard heart. It's easy to get a hard heart a, a, towards other people whenever you've been let down and you're like, man, I'll tell you what, you know, somebody hurts you and you're like, forget that. I'm never trusting anybody ever again. And, or, and, and so we take this protective measure. We start building walls to protect ourselves. We don't want to get wounded again. And I understand that because I here is what I find is that that person often ends up very lonely. And I felt that, right? So we can get a hard heart. Here's another thing we can get, a prideful spirit. And a prideful spirit would say, I will never do what that person ever did. And most likely you wouldn't. But when pride begins to take root in our lives, we are setting ourselves up for a failure. The Bible tells us that very clearly, right? So we can get a prideful spirit. Or how about this? We begin to justify some sin in our lives. We start saying, well, this happened to me, so therefore I'm going to do this, or I need to do this to feel better. Or, or and it starts playing out in our lives. And, and for me, that started playing out, and, and I know we don't make much of gluttony, but, but that was a way that I kind of self-medicated, was I would eat to make myself feel better, and I got really heavy during this period of time. And others may justify other kinds of sin. Well, that person was talking about me behind my back and I got some dirt on them. By golly, I'm using it against them, right? We justify sin. And we need to know, we need to know that there's no justification for any sin, even when we've been wounded. Here's another thing, and this is where I think a lot of us land. A lot of us, maybe that's not what happens, but maybe we just carry grudges. And we carry heavy grudges from our childhood, our teen years, our 20s, whatever it may be. Maybe this last week someone did something to wound you. And what a grudge can often turn into is a bitter attitude. And now we find bitterness beginning to infect our hearts. And, and, and this mentality happens where, where, where vengeance is kind of on our mind. And, and, and this is when somebody hurts us. This is why you'll hear somebody say, I'll get even. You feel like somebody owes you and I'll get even or, or you know, and you're, you're wanting to set the record straight. So we carry around heavy bags. You know, if you're trying to run a race and the Christian race is called, uh, it's called it likened to a marathon, right? A lot of times, do you think you're going to do as well if you're carrying a bunch of weight, a bunch of heavy bags around? No, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to experience the peace that God has for you. It impacts our relationship with God. And, and that's often in many people, and maybe you're one of these here today, because there's some unresolved hurt. Now listen, I know that whenever I talk about relational brokenness, when I start talking about issues of bitterness and forgiveness, there's an apprehension that I often sense as a speaker. I can feel it often in the room. Sometimes it's really thick. And, uh, and the reason is because it's a very touchy subject. Whenever you're touching on these kinds of issues, that it's, it's sore spots that people have in their lives. And it makes me think of this. When, when, when you were a kid, you fell, you scraped your knee. My parents used this back team. Does anybody remember that? Hey, let's pour some acid on the wound. You'll feel better. 
man, that stuff hurts so bad. I don't know what parents use today. My kids are older, okay? But, but this Bactine was this stuff that they would put on my scraped knees or my cuts or whatever. And here is what happens as a kid or my dad, he would, uh, he would like to joke if I had a splinter and he'd pull out his pocket knife. Well, it looks like we're gonna have to amputate. You know, any of your parents did that. And uh, that's what he would do. And, uh, and, and so as a kid, what do you do when there's a wound that's getting treated? You cry, <laughs> You, you withdraw, you pull back. Why? Many times because the treatment hurts sometimes even more than the wound. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's what this often is because here is what bitterness is. Are you ready? Why do we do the treatment? It's so that there's not an infection that takes place and makes things worse. Bitterness is in an infection of the heart. And it starts to happen in many of our lives. And then we have no peace. We wonder why there's no joy in our lives. We wonder why we battle with with these certain areas that we can't seem to get past in our life. I love what June Hunt said. She said, the primary reason God wants us to forgive is because forgiveness sets us free to be all that he designed us to be. You're going to see this in a second. The forgiveness is more for you than it is for the person that maybe you need to forgive. It actually does the work in you. And and when I am forgiving someone, I'm trusting God to take these broken pieces in my life. And in his way, he crafts the masterpiece, not me. God does this. Now, I promise we're going to look at Scripture in a minute. Turn to Matthew 18 if you're not there, because we'll go quickly in a second. But again, when I talk about this, the apprehension that people often have is because there's a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. I want to just address really quickly what forgiveness is not. And some of you need to take some notes on this, because this is important, because this has been your hang-up. You've not understood what forgiveness is and what it's not. Forgiveness, starting, is not a feeling. It's not that, hey, whenever I feel this sappy feeling, I'll know that's time for me to forgive. It may take a very long time for your feelings ever to line up with God's command for a believer to forgive another person. You may never feel like it. You may never feel emotional about it. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not a feeling, okay? Forgiveness, number two, is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing its evil. It's not saying that what that person did is okay. It's not saying that how they hurt you was not a big deal. Listen to me. Whatever was done to you is a big deal. It's such a big deal, Jesus had to die on the cross for it. That's why it's a big deal. It's not saying it wasn't sin. It's not, it's not diminishing the evil of this. It's not letting a person off the hook. I've, I've likened it to this. When you have a person that you will not forgive, you are carrying that baggage on your hook of your life, so to speak. When you forgive, you're taking that person or that baggage off of your hook, and here's what you're doing. You're putting them on God's hook. God can handle it. You and I, we can't. We're not made to carry that. 
That's what you do, okay? So it's, it's not diminishing this evil. Forgiveness is not enabling sin. It's not saying to an addict, it's okay for you in your addiction to continue to abuse, to continue to break trust. Uh, you can forgive and, and still say that these things are not okay, all right? It's not enabling sin. It's not saying you can keep doing to me what you've been doing to me. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is this, you ready? It's not a response to an apology, I'm gonna let you in on something. Some of you know this all too true. You may never get an apology. Sometimes people die and never apologize. Sometimes people move and they never apologize. So if, if you're waiting on, a, on an apology, you're still deciding to carry that heavy bag around with you. Remember, it's taking them off of your hook and putting them onto God's hook. You may never get an apology. Forgiveness is not covering up crimes committed against us. It's not saying uh, that there are not consequences that come with actions. There are consequences whenever people commit actions. There may come a time where you need to call the police. Well, that's not forgiving. Oh, yeah, you can forgive someone and send them to jail. See, and that's what we, we get hung up on is that we don't understand what forgiveness is and what it's not. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay to let a person continue to abuse another person or do something inappropriate with another person. We forgive them. Well, we can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that they can't go to jail. There are consequences that come with actions. Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many times have we heard that, that it's forgetting? Lots of good re religious people, I understand this, and I know where they're getting at. They love to quote Jeremiah 31, where it says, I remember their sins no more. And I heard a really well-meaning uh, person say, you just need to forget this, and you just need to get over this and forget it. Uh, listen, God is omniscient. There is not, it's not like God is up in heaven scratching his head trying to remember things that he forgot. That's, this verse has been taken out of context. What this means is this. God chooses not to see the offense anymore because Christ has satisfied the justice that was necessary to pay for our sins. He chose to release us from this, okay? So it's not forgetting. In fact, I would suggest to you that there is wisdom in remembering, not holding it over someone, but in remembering so that we make wise decisions going forward. Do you see? It's not just, in fact, it's probably impossible for us just to completely forget. So if you're hung up on that one, let yourself off the hook there. Quit beating yourself up. Forgiveness is not instant restored trust, Husband has an affair against his wife. He says he's sorry. She says she forgives him. Does everything automatically go back to the same in that relationship instantly? Absolutely not. Trust is gained slowly over time, isn't it? And it is lost very quickly. But it takes time to repair trust. You can forgive someone and still the relationship does not instantly go back the way it is. It may, listen, it may never go back the way it was. But you can still forgive. You can still forgive. I gotta move quick, okay? It's not a restored quest, re, trust. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation takes one person to repent and one person to forgive, and perhaps there's reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is a two-way street. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Here is the point. It takes two people to reconcile. All you can do is what you can do. That's why Scripture says, Paul says in Romans, Paul says as, in, as far as it depends upon you, you live at peace with other people. Well, you can't control what other people are going to do. There may be uh, someone that you want to forgive, uh, or maybe you need to seek forgiveness, and there may not be reconciliation that happens, right? When you do what you can do, you can live with a clear conscience. But if you continue to not do the one thing God calls you to do, well, that's where you're in the wrong. This is also important to understand. Forgiveness doesn't mean there must be a reestablishment of the relationship. Some of you don't want to forgive because you're like, if I do this, I'm going to have to be back in this relationship. And that's not necessarily true as well. Okay, it may happen, but, but there needs to be reconciliation. For there to be reconciliation, there needs to be repentance. There needs to, on the behalf of the other person who hurt you, there needs to be restitution when, where necessary, uh, right? And, and there also needs to be a rebuilding of trust. That is how relationships are restored. Now, you and I, we need to forgive whether or not we want to or not as a believer because we are commanded to by Jesus. But again, he's not giving this command to be this mean-spirited father over us. Why does he give us this command? Because he knows what unforgiveness does to us. And he loves us. Here's just one more just practical advice. Most of the time, our forgiveness can be done just between us and God forgiving another person. You can forgive a group of people or a person in secret and never need to let them know that you forgave them. I've seen this happen many times. A person offends another person. They don't even realize that they've offended someone. Someone comes up to them and says, I want you to know I forgave you. That many times makes that relationship even more intense. You really probably didn't need to do that. You probably just need to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm gonna work through forgiveness towards them. Many times we can just forgive in secret. Now, if you can't get past it, here's what Jesus is gonna tell you to do. You gotta go sit down with them just between the two of you. Not posting it all over Facebook. Not posting it all over Facebook. And all God's people should say, because let's face it, that happens a lot. And it needs to stop because it's damaging relationships for the kingdom of God. So you can forgive in secret. Forgiveness is what you do. It's not what they do. Remember, Jesus said, go sit down just between the two of you. See if you can work it out. So Jesus was teaching his disciples this. Let me take you through this quick. In Matthew 18, he teaches them how to, how to begin to work through an, a, a relationship that's strained. Peter comes to Jesus, though, and he asks this big question. He says, he said, well, well, if somebody offends me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Verse 21, Matthew 18, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, Peter thinks he is He's doing a big thing right here by saying seven times. Do you know why? Because in the legalism, in the Jewish law, uh, you were only required to forgive three times. And so this is what Peter's doing. 
Peter's saying, well, this person keeps doing this over and over again. Have you ever had that? Have you noticed that maybe someone who's done something to you one time, it's kind of easy to forgive, but when there's continual offense, right? We all have that person in our life that we would call our heavenly sandpaper. They rub us the wrong way. We call them around here, some of you know, EGRs, help me out. Extra grace required. How many of you have a person like that? Raise your hands. If you're not raising your hands, you might be the EGR. I don't know, okay? (laughs) Probably not. But we all have that person that offends. And how many times do we forgive, right? Peter thinks he's being noble and he's like, three times? No, man, I'm going to double this, Jesus. How about not only double it, I'm going to throw a little cherry on top and let's just call it a seven, right? How many times? Is that good enough? And the Lord is going to say to Peter, Peter, you're being bound up in legalism. We just kind of were in Galatians, right? Legalism. And, and Jesus is going to say, let's talk about grace. Let's talk about the law of love. No, not seven times, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. Mathematicians, help me out. How many? 490. Wow. Is Jesus saying when you get to eight, we're done with them, right? When you get to 491, what's he saying? The point is, where there is grace, there is no limit to the amount of times we are called as believers to forgive others. You don't get to 491 and say, I'm done. Remember, it doesn't mean a relationship is automatically restored. What are you doing? You're taking them off of your hook and putting them onto God's. You're freeing yourself. That's what you're doing. Lewis B. Smead says this, it's not on, on the screen, but here's, he's a theologian. He said, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and realize the prisoner was you. That's powerful, right? So he's saying there's no limit. Verse 23, he's gonna tell this incredible story really quickly. Let me share it with you. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, he's gonna tell this story so they can relate, uh, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. So the king calls in all these notes that are owed to him. Everyone owes him. But in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him a millions and millions of dollars. Okay, we know they did didn't have dollars. This is in our language. What, what you should know is that the debt was astronomical. That's the point. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. Again, there was no chapter 13 bankruptcy or chapter 11, nothing like that. If you went bankrupt, the person you owed could throw you in jail. They could sell your family into slavery. That's what was going on. How are you ever going to pay a debt back if you're in jail? You see, it's, it's a hopeless place to be. You're in prison. You're in prison. Now it's impacting others. Jesus is showing us the point is the debt is unpayable. Verse 26, but the man fell down before the master. He begged him. Will you read it with me what he said? Say it with me out loud. Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. This is a ridiculous thought that this guy would ever even be able to pay this back. But sometimes this is what we think, I can pay this back. The only possible way for this guy to ever be set free is if somebody says, I release you of your debt. That's what Jesus is getting to. All right, now let me give you some takeaways today. What is Jesus teaching us about this? As a believer, I should forgive 
Here's what he's doing first. He's setting us up because God has forgiven me. He's setting us all up. He's gonna point you back to how much you and I have been forgiven. That's what he does. He's gonna say, look, then his master, who do you think the master is? It's, it's, it's an image of God, okay? Was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. No strings attached, a free gift, grace, mercy combined together. Now, if you're taking some notes, forgiveness, we talked about what it's not, is a cancellation of a debt that is owed. That's what it actually is. In the original language, both noun and verb, this is what the noun is. The noun is a pardon. It's a cancellation of an obligation or a punishment or a guilt, this debt that's owed. You're releasing someone from that debt. The verb is this. I like the verb of it. It's to send away, to release. What is it? Say it with me. What's the last part? To what? Let go. To let go. Take them off your hook. Let go. Put them on God's hook. I know that takes an act of faith because what you're saying is, God, I've had them on my hook because I feel like I need to set the record straight. What you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm trusting you to set the record straight. And I'm taking it off of me. Jesus is saying when, he, when we accept Christ, he forgives us our debt and it wipes the slate clean. He says, I'm letting go of all of that. I'm giving you a chance to start over. But that's also the challenging news of the gospel is this, is that he expects me to do this for others, what he has done for me. He's forgiven me a debt so massive and we love to sing amazing grace. But then at the same time, we, love to sh- we, we, we struggle showing amazing grace. And we need to show amazing grace. I want you to think about this with me. How would you feel if you just had $12 million debt? How would you feel if someone told you your mortgage was paid off today? Oh, you'd be excited, wouldn't you? You'd be grateful. You'd be relieved. You'd be joyful. You'd be at peace. That's the point. If you are being bound up to bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, I want you to consider that the reason maybe why you have a hard time forgiving is maybe you haven't quite grasped the depths of what God has done for you. Maybe you don't either understand it or maybe you choose to receive it. And so you're still trying to make, the guy was like, I'll pay this back. You're still trying to make up the debt, right? It's hard to show grace when we don't appreciate it in our own lives. So here's what Jesus is getting across. Learning to forgive someone who has wronged us is nothing short of learning to think and act like God does. We're being more like God when we do this. Here's the servant's reaction. Okay, this is what he does. Many of you are familiar with this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant, someone just like him, who owed him a few thousand dollars. That's still a good amount of money in my, in my mind, but it was repayable. He grabbed him by the throat. He demanded instant payment. Do you know that legally in Roman law, you could do that to somebody who owed you money? Aren't you glad that our debtors today can't choke us, right? But they could choke you back then and throw you in prison. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged, begged for a little more time. Just give me a little more time. I want you to read what this servant said too. Will you read it with me? Be patient with me and I will pay it. 
Sound familiar? Same words. What do you think Jesus is doing? He's saying, we love getting forgiveness. We hate giving it. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. He pleaded for this, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full, as was his right to do. Once again, though, how is he going to pay the debt when he's in prison? Jesus is pointing out the great irony of all of this. Masterful teacher, he's using irony. Did you notice his, the, the, the unmerciful servant's harshness? You know, a lot of times we're really harsh with other people because we still haven't come to terms with how much God has forgiven us. An ungraced person is often an ungracious person. But when we internalize grace, it helps us to be a little, little uh, more forgiving, a little more patient, a little more at peace, right? That's why Paul wrote this, Ephesians 4, just really quickly. This is what he says, for our own good, get rid of it. The bitterness, the rage, the anger, the harsh words, the slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Look at what he says, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Remember, a bitter person's hard-hearted. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The implication is we're going to hurt each other. We're, we're messed up. We need to give forgiveness to each other. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you, the key to forgiveness is realizing how much God has forgiven me every single day. Some of us maybe haven't visited that in some time. When I realize the magnitude of this, I'm gonna be more forgiving. Here's your final point, okay? Your final point is this. Why should I forgive? The reason I should forgive is because is because resentment makes me miserable. When you are carrying that, you're not making the other person miserable in most cases. They may not even know you're holding a grudge. You're the one that's losing sleep. You're the one that's hurting the most. It tortures you. Resentment is like hell on earth for many of us. For many of those years, I was carrying resentment. I'm just going to tell you, it started flowing out of my life into my relationship with my kids, my wife, people who are in our church. And there took some of you to finally say, dude, there's something going on with you. And I realized I had a lot of bitterness that I had not dealt with. It makes us miserable. Look quickly, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset So I want you to see, it impacts not only you, it impacts others around you. They went to the king, they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be, what? Tortured? until he paid his entire debt. The master said, if that's how you're gonna be, unforgiving, then I'm gonna show you what an unforgiving attitude feels like, what you're gonna experience. I'm gonna show you that you reap what you sow in this life. It's a spiritual law. Literally, it says he handed him over to the jailers. In the original language, it's actually the tormentors. That's what it means. 
I want to be clear that you can't earn your salvation by forgiving others. You can't lose your salvation by being unforgiving. Many commentators think that what Jesus is saying here is that when we as believers choose not to forgive, we put ourselves back in prison. We put ourselves back in a place of torment, in a place of tormenting and torturing ourselves. God doesn't even have to torture us, so to speak. We torture ourselves. We make ourselves miserable. We don't have peace. We don't have joy. It, in, it impacts our other relationships. We're unhealthy in a lot of ways. This is what he's saying. What he's saying is God will discipline a believer who will not obey him because he loves him and he's a good, a good father. But, but when we choose to disobey, God will bring that discipline and it impacts our fellowship with God. When your fellowship with God is not right, you're gonna be miserable as a believer you're gonna be miserable. So he's saying, I'm giving this principle to you because I don't want you to put yourself back in prison. I want you free. I don't want you binding yourself back up again. I want you to take them off of your hook, put them onto my hook. And I want us in this series to catch this. We're gonna work through this for your own health, what I've been praying for you, for your own happiness, for your family's sake, because again, I don't have time to break this down, but did you see that the guy's family was impacted because he got put back into prison? Sometimes your kids are being tormented because of your unforgiving spirit and your bitterness. Sometimes your relationship with your spouse, there's torture there for others when we put ourselves back in the prison of bitterness. We're gonna do something next week that I hope you'll all come back. You wonder why we call in this series Broken Pieces. Next week, and our team's gonna come up and play a final song for you, but next week, what we're gonna do is we are gonna take tiles just like this. And you're gonna think about maybe some wounds that, that, that you're struggling with. Maybe you don't have that. I praise God if you don't, but if you do, it's gonna be a private moment between you and the Lord next week where you're gonna write down whatever that is on that. It, nobody else will see that what's on the back because here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take this next week and you're gonna bust it into a lot of pieces. And then what we're going to do is we're gonna have artists who are in our church who are gonna take all of the broken pieces from all of, our, all of us together and they're gonna put those into a beautiful masterpiece that will be on display at the end of this series. And all of us will be a part of that masterpiece because that's what God does with broken things, amen? He turns them into things that are beautiful in our lives. I want just to ask you to bow your heads with me today. And I know that this is a tough message. I know that this is a tough series for some of you. I ask you to hang with me. And the, our team, normally we sing at the end. Our team is just gonna sing today and you're just gonna quietly reflect. You're gonna stay seated. You're gonna, you're gonna seek the Lord. You're gonna begin to ask God to show you, is there some bitterness? Are there some broken things that maybe you need a healing touch from God? It may not have anything to do with another person. It may just be just some wounds that you have from, from whatever. But would you just begin to ask God just to show you what those broken things may be and just begin to lay those down before him today and begin to experience his rest and his peace. Maybe for some of you, your act of worship today is you're gonna trust 
as you take whatever person has been on your hook and you forgive them and you take them off of your hook and you put them on the God's hook, it's gonna be a great release for you today. But we're gonna trust that God's gonna take the broken things in our lives and he's gonna build it into a beautiful masterpiece. Listen to this song as you quietly reflect upon that.